This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. That is the sound of one of the rarest big cats in the world rubbing its face against a hidden camera. It's in a place so harsh it doesn't seem possible to survive. The Siberian tiger, the stuff of legends. Even those who search for them seem to become legends. I first heard about Su Young Park from a filmmaker friend who came across him at a film festival in Vladivostok in eastern Russia. The story was pretty crazy. Park, a Korean filmmaker, was showing footage from a documentary he'd made on tigers. Russian tigers. No one had filmed Siberian tigers before. There's only about 500 Siberian tigers left in the wild, in an area about the same size as my home state of Washington. And even though these cats can weigh 700 pounds and measure 10 feet long, they're practically invisible, making these animals almost impossible to find let alone film. I couldn't understand how Park captured these amazing images of these rare cats. In all my years of wildlife tracking and filmmaking, I had never seen anything like this. I had to learn more. How did he do it? So I packed my bags and headed off to Russia. I wanted to meet this man so he could teach me about his tigers and what the human spirit is capable of when pushed to the limits. It's a story you may find hard to believe, I know, because I didn't believe it either, till I saw it with my own eyes. From KUOW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the wild. It's winter 2013, and I'm in the Primorsky Krai in the Russian Far East, donning my giant parker and thick winter boots. Four flights from home and two days of driving through blizzards from Vladivostok, and I've arrived in another world. It's cold, very cold. My moustache is frozen, but I'm a very happy guy. I'm here as part of a TV documentary to tell the story of a man and his tigers. When I meet Park, I'm a little apprehensive. I didn't know what to expect from him. He's a guy who's taken the word obsession to a whole new level. I'm also a little starstruck, so I've been working on my Korean greeting. Chris Morgan. Hangyong Kiseo. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you too. Loved the guy immediately. He has the friendliest smile and a joyful glint in his eye, and we became instant friends. Park's story is extraordinary. He filmed Siberian tigers by basically hiding in a small hole in the ground about four feet by six feet. He covered the hole with wooden planks and branches to give himself a roof and camouflage. And then he wouldn't move for months, alone, silent and still. And in the dead of winter. So small. How long did you stay in here? First year, I stayed up. 
seven months. Seven months? Yeah. But one time, maybe two or three months, I wait here. <laughs> I didn't see any tigers. Only I see raccoon dog. Raccoon dog? Uh-huh. Ah. Only a raccoon dog? I mean, it's an interesting creature, but not exactly a satisfying payoff for months of waiting, if what you want to see is a tiger. A stack of books was the only company Park had. And his dreams of tigers. Eventually, though, his patience paid off. Over five years in total, he captured 1,000 hours of tiger footage. 1,000 hours more than anyone before him. And I wanted to know every detail of how he did it. When you were in your hide, what did you eat? Uh, I prepared some cooked rice. Oh, I prepared took... 300 pockets like this. 300 bags of rice? Uh-huh. I ate two times per day. And I prepared nuts yeah. for vitamin and soli. salt. Salt? And that was it? This is all you ate? Uh-huh. I have a toilet. A toilet? Oh, toilet. Okay. toilet. That was my next question. Oh. What do you do for a toilet? <laughs> <laughs> huh? toilet? I'm so intrigued. Per week, maybe one or two times, I toilet. Yeah. Make some, uh, I bring some special paper. Yeah, paper. Uh, over there. Yeah. And fold. Yeah. And some uh, special pocket. Like this. Yes, plastic bags. Uh-huh. Yeah, hopefully not the and one with the, the nuts in it. One, one time again, eliminate all smell and to the basket. What was the temperature? What was it like? Outside, minus 30 degree. Inside, minus 30 degree. Minus 30. Wow. It's beyond what I can comprehend, actually. Everything, the basic food, the temperature, the patience, the endless weeks. It's almost unbelievable. Park and I both share a passion for wild predators. But I have to admit, I was feeling a bit out of place here in this cold Siberian forest. I love large carnivores and I love thinking about their wild lives and what they need. And in a forest like this, there's nothing more extreme. Most of my time I spend studying bears, but also a little bit of wolves and a little bit of cougars, so I know my North American carnivores. But that's where the similarities end. This forest has all kinds of incredibly exotic species in it, including the tiger. And that's where I'm out of my element a little bit, but I love that. If it wasn't bears for me, it would be tigers. It's hard to picture a more magnificent animal, I think, and and especially here with a backdrop of ice and snow on the very edge of Russia before it spills into the Pacific towards Japan. These tigers are northerners. They're a subspecies separate to their cousins in the heat of India and Sumatra and other places. Here in Primorsky, they live in this forest, and an important part of it is Korean pine. This tree is kind of like the hub of the ecosystem. It provides pine nuts that are full of fat and protein. The nuts are about the size of a small bean. And in a place this harsh, these pine nuts are like a larder for seeker deer and wild boar. And both of them are on the tiger's menu. Everything the tiger depends on eats these pine nuts. 
But deer and wild boar are not the only things the tigers prey on. One male tiger had more brown bear remains in its scat than anything else. Those are basically Russian grizzlies. Oh, and they eat pine nuts too. As I started to explore with Park, I couldn't shake the feeling of, of being watched. These are carnivores at the top of their game, and only made Park's approach closer to insanity. Maybe you cannot see tiger, but tiger see you. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, I don't know where, but tiger see you. <laughs> One reason Park's approach to filming stood out is that he would put up two or three remote cameras around his hide or kill site. So this way he could film the same tigers from multiple angles, close-ups, wide shots, and, and then he could edit these all together and really make you feel like you were right there with them. Park takes me on a tour of these woods that he knows so well, showing me the best places to find a tiger. He was so good at understanding the winter landscape and tracking tigers here, local hunters said he learned to read the white book. At Soundside, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting Soundside as number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you KUOW listeners want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for Soundside at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the Soundside podcast. We're crunching our way through a snowy riverbed when Park notices something on a nearby tree. Oh, yeah. Some black, huh? This is a uh, tiger spray. His, his pit. Can you smell it? Smell, but old. Oh, it definitely, smell, definitely uh-huh. cat smell, yeah. Oh, look, here. Is that a hair? Park doesn't just know this forest well and the ways to find and film tigers. He knows them as individuals and even as entire family groups. In fact, he knows them so well he's named many of them. One particular female mother tiger became very special to him. He had waited in his hide for 60 days when she first appeared. Yep, 60 days before a tiger even showed up. And this female was followed by three cubs. He named her Bloody Mary after the vivid kill sites she would create when hunting prey. The mother and cubs were a tight-knit group, and Park fell for them right away. He even named the cubs. Bloody Mary's son he named Sky White. Her first daughter, Snow White, and the last daughter was named Moon White. He began to film them and learn their movements, gathering intimate footage of them as a family like no one had ever thought possible. But sometimes things got a little too close for comfort out here for Park. He told me that one night he was sitting in his hide when Bloody Mary appeared with her cubs. They sensed him there from maybe 80 yards away and started to approach. He froze. His camera lens was outside the hide, with his hand on it. He didn't move. He didn't want to trigger an attack. Bloody Mary brushed her face against his hand. And then one of her cubs jumped up onto the roof of his hide. When one tiger come up, the plank is bounding. Two tigers come up, more bounding. Three tigers come up, broken. The planks broke. Broken. With three tigers on tigers the roof. Tigers are leg. <laughs> legs inside. No. You know, 
I, I didn't think. Its leg is down here, and uh -huh. you are sitting there. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> Your heart is going. But he was surprised more. Quickly go out because oh, yeah. he didn't think this is a hole. Park had other close encounters with these 700-pound cats, but these experiences only made him appreciate them even more. He knows these animals could easily kill him. They make me humble. When I was humble, I can see uh, nature more deep. In the city, humankind think they are God. But in the forest, we don't think, we don't feel like that. We are same with another animal, almost the same, I feel. Unfortunately, sometimes that city thinking that, that humans are God sneaks into the forest. Tigers are sometimes killed by poachers. A dead tiger is worth a lot of money. A poacher can make about $50,000 from their body parts, used for traditional Chinese medicine on the black market. It's an ever-present threat. 20 or 30 tigers are killed here every year. One day, Park was sitting in his hide when his assistant radioed him. They'd found a tiger that had been killed by a rifle trap. The assistant convinced Park to leave his hide to look at the tiger to help figure out if they knew this cat. Poachers will set up trip wires attached to the trigger of a rifle. It's a death trap just waiting for a tiger to come walking by. When Park got to the scene, he saw the tiger's body. It was Bloody Mary. Even one of the most elusive cat species on Earth can't hide from a rifle trap. As Park tells me the story, he becomes quiet, looking off into the distance like he can still see her. His eyes have tears in them. Losing Bloody Mary was like losing a family member to Park. She was one of the tigers he had interacted with the most, and she was a mother to three cubs. She had been his family, away from his actual family in Korea. This was emotional work for Park. Spending that much time away from loved ones takes a toll. Giving up must have crossed his mind. Did you sometimes think, forget it, I can't wait? One time, my assistant come. He bring me new supply, one time per two or three months. When he came, bring me new rice, salt, and take my waste. I cannot see his eyes directly. He cannot see my eyes directly too. If we see eyes, each other, maybe we cry. You understand? Mm. So we cannot see directly. And then he go back to the home. I saw he's going. I think big solitary coming up in my body. Coming up, coming up. I cannot stay here. I want to give up. I want to give up. I feel human cannot live alone. I think, I feel human live together, must live together.
But he didn't give up. Bloody Mary's death actually seemed to fuel him. Park went on to track and film her three cubs from various hides. Two of the cubs stayed close to their dead mother's territory on the coast, and one female, Snow White, headed inland and made the mountains home. Life for Siberian tigers is a struggle. They face lots of challenges, like tigers everywhere. Since 1900, we've lost 97% of them worldwide. Over the next few months, Park tried his best to keep track of Bloody Mary's cubs. The male cub, Sky White, was killed by a poacher, just like his mother. Park was devastated. The other cub living on the coast, the female named Moon White, gave birth to a cub. One night, Park saw the mother and her cub. The cub was injured and not doing well. They both walked away and Park never saw them again. But there was still one of Bloody Mary's cubs left, Snow White, the one who moved inland into the mountains, and Park knew a place thick with Korean pine and so plenty of prey. He thought he might find her there. So he hiked to the forest and built a platform, this time 15 feet up in a tree. Then he waited. Months passed. The snow fell almost every day. One day, the snow stopped, and out from the trees emerged not one, but two young tigers, followed by a third, a tiger he immediately recognized. It was Snow White. She was alive, and she had become a mother, which made Bloody Mary a grandmother. It was almost like Snow White was here to give him the most special gift of all. The chance to see her cubs, the third generation of Park's Siberian tiger family, and hope for this mystical creature at the edge of the earth. You can see Su Young Park's footage of the tigers in the documentary Siberian Tiger Quest on PBS Nature. Special thanks to Terra Mata Factual Studios and 13 for excerpts from the film. Thanks to my friend and legendary filmmaker Mike Burkhead and his team for finding Su Young Park and telling his story. Hey, on that topic, if you've got a story about an experience you've had in the wild, or if you've got ideas for future episodes, please send me an email at thewild at kuow.org and we'll get back in touch. On the next episode of The Wild, I'll give you some tips on how to stay safe in the wild. I'm walking backwards on the trail back to the camp. The mom and the cubs keep following me and are walking at least as fast as I am. The Wild is inspired not just by nature, but by people who work in it, love it, protect it. There's a ton of information on the website if you want to find out more. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle, in partnership with my work at Chris Morgan Wildlife. I want to give a big thanks to the Wild marketing team. Michaela Ginotti, Charlotte Duran, Cynthia Chow, and Bridget Anderson. Our producer is Matt Martin. Jim Gates is our editor. Brendan Sweeney is our managing producer. Our fact checker is April Craig. We had engineering help from David Brown. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. 
Additional music in this episode is from Janerdin, Lee Rosevear, and Caitlin McGovern. I'm your host, Chris Morgan. Thanks for listening. At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you, KUOW listeners, want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for SoundSide at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the SoundSide podcast.